Earlier this month, I joined the legions and legions of Black women and Black people and Black moviegoers to go see the movie Harriet. And when I tell you that I loved this movie, I cannot understate, I cannot overstate, I cannot state enough how much I loved this movie. And in the two weeks or so, maybe three that have followed since seeing the film, I have just continued to reap wisdom, to reap knowledge and reap understanding and revelation from this film and from this goddesses, this hero's life, Harriet Tubman. And on this episode of Modern Faith, I'm just going to pass along a little bit of what I reaped from the film. Thanks for being here. Welcome to Modern Faith, a podcast for the spiritual nourishment for today's millennial woman of color. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Nichelle Guidry. Thanks for being here. Once again, on this episode, I am going to be sharing some wisdom, some life lessons, some leadership lessons that I gleaned from the film Harriet. And I want to preface these thoughts by just saying to um, the co-writer and director of this film, Casey Lemons, what a beautiful masterpiece this woman created. I am absolutely, um, I continue to be in awe of this story um, the, and even the way that it was told, I I loved the um, the narrative move from the beginning to the end. All of the moves. I it's been a really long time since I watched a movie and um, really felt that I had a holy encounter um, in in the course of watching it. Um, there have been a few films that I, f- I feel have had some sort of uh, spiritual effect on me. Um, I mean, there are a lot of movies that have spiritual implications and spiritual messages, but very few, at least for me, very few films actually um, have actually served as conduits for the spirit to actually meet me and move in me and through me. And I know that by the time this movie was over, I was so full. I was so full that I could barely speak. I I wept for at least a good hour, maybe more after watching that film. And God bless my boyfriend because we went to see it and he just kind of like got it after the film. Like there's not going to be a lot of conversation right now because the spirit is moving in you. And um, he was correct because I, once again, like I genuinely feel that I had been met by the spirit um, in the course of watching that film. And certainly by the time you get to that last scene, oh my God, and I'm going to try to keep this episode as free from spoiler alerts as possible. But 
I sort of wanted to wait on this because I wait on this episode because I really wanted to give people the opportunity to go see it. And I do genuinely feel like by now, if you want, if you've wanted to see the film, you've seen the film by now. So I'm going to try not to drop spoilers here, but um, it would just behoove you to go see it if you haven't. Um, but I was so full particularly at that last scene where uh, the quote from Jesus, I believe in John, maybe chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. Oh, I was done. I was so done. And I have continued to feel full um, from watching this movie. And I thought that it was so, and I still think that it is so unfortunate to see and to have witnessed all of the um infighting that occurred as a result of this film. I mean, when I say I saw things like I am people boycotting the film because they didn't want to see a white savior and people boycotting the film because they didn't want to see a black slave captor and people being mad over the lead actress, Cynthia Erivo. I mean, oh my goodness, it was really incredible to read tweets and think pieces and posts about why people weren't going to go see it. And what I found fascinating about maybe 90% of most of them, it was people who were adamantly like, I got all these thoughts and opinions without ever having seen it. I thought it was unfortunate and also quite laughable. But I I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. I don't want to spend a lot of time on the the barrage of detraction and undermining and just straight up smearing that happened around this movie because at the end of the day I I genuinely think that you know most of it was because most people don't like black women. They don't like to see black women being the heroes of our stories. They don't like to see black women in empowering roles. They don't like to um support the work, the labor, the art of black women. They um would rather, you know, spend their money elsewhere or spend their time elsewhere and to each their own. But as for me and my house, uh, we went to go see Harriet and I loved it. And that's where I want to park my car for this episode. I want to park right here in this space of awe and gratitude and um, genuinely feeling like I took some things away from that film that have been really helpful to me in my leadership um, and have helped me in my faith and just kind of helped me walk a little bit more carefully and mindfully, um, not only of my predecessors and my ancestors and the power with which they they survived and the power with which they resisted, but also, I think more importantly, um, how I am moving as a result of their lives and their sacrifices, how the decisions I'm making and how I'm, I'm showing up. And so that is where these lessons, these notes, these thoughts have derived from. Uh, 
my reflection on the film and also my reflection on myself as a black woman and how I desire to lead and how I desire to live soulfully and passionately to the end of liber- the liberation of my people. So that being said, I have seven quick lessons that I want to share with you on this episode of Modern Faith. And lesson number one is you cannot take others on a journey that you yourself have not taken. And at times, this means that you must take some of your journeys alone. If you remember in the film, um, Minty is in a, in a situation where she's about to be sold away from her family. And rather than enduring the trauma and the degradation of being torn away from her family and sold into, sold to a new master, she decides it's time for me to get free. It's time for me to make my move. And um, she's trying to convince people to go with her. Um, and she's trying to uh, bring her family along with her, but no one's ready to go yet. Um, and the stakes weren't the same for them because she was the one that was about to be sold. And so she decides that she had to make a decision for herself that it was time for her to go. And in so doing, in so choosing her own freedom, in so choosing her own uh, emancipation, she has to make a journey of freedom by herself. She has to go through the woods by herself. She's got to go through those stops on the underground journey herself. She's got to trust God for herself. She's got to make it to freedom for herself. And so I think what's really powerful about this lesson is that so many times we're we're not sure, um, not just how things are going to turn out, but we're, we're not sure that we're capable of um, taking the steps that we have to take because we often have to take them in isolation. And take them by ourselves. But once again, we can't take anyone else on a journey to freedom that we have not taken for ourselves. And in taking that journey for herself, Harriet learned the woods. She learned the river. She learned the route. She learned where to go and who to who to look for. She learned the safe places to hide and the places to avoid. Most importantly, she learned how to use her her um, spiritual gift of discernment and having all of these skills and having this knowledge and ultimately making it to freedom in Philadelphia was exactly what enabled her to go back to get some more slaves and to lead them on a path to freedom. And so I think one of the lessons I took away, the first lesson I took away was that, once again, you cannot take anyone else on a journey that you yourself are not willing to go, even if it means that you have to go by yourself. There is a spiritual, there is a practical, there is a life value that comes from stepping out on faith when you don't know how it's going to turn out and you don't know what's going to happen, but you know, I have to move. I have to do this. Even if it means I'm having to do this alone, 
If no one understands me, if no one believes in me, if no one quite understands, why are you leaving that situation? Why are you leaving that job? Why are you deciding to write that book or start that business? It doesn't it doesn't make sense. Well, it doesn't have to make sense to anyone else except for you. And even when it doesn't make sense to you, if you know that that's the right thing to do, that whatever is the right thing to do, then that is the thing that you must do. And sometimes it won't make sense until you're already through it. But once again, sis, you cannot take anyone else on a journey that you yourself have not taken. So take the journey. And then once you take the journey, think about who do you need to go back and get so that their freedom can also be possible. Number two, do not despise the disappointments. My God, do not despise the disappointments that you have experienced in your life. Whew. When there's a part in the film when Harriet goes back, she goes back. This is her first journey back to the plantation um, after she's been free. She took her journey. She got free. She's been free. And she starts to miss her husband. And she says, I, I need to go back and I need to get my husband. So she takes the journey back. She, she on foot <laughs> to go get her man. Only to arrive and discover that he has already moved on. He has already gotten remarried. And not only that, but he seems to be quite content with his new wife. And she's devastated. This scene was so heartbreaking. Um, so heartbreaking to me because I can, in some ways, I can personally attest to the sort of decisions that I've made as a woman for love. Um, the decisions that I've made on behalf of and for an intimate partner and it didn't happen, it didn't work out the way that I desired it would. I mean, I, this part in the movie, I I could not help but think about um, my Chicago chapter and how I went to Chicago to be a spouse to someone and how that marriage only lasted just under four years out of the seven years that I was there. And I for so long was going back and forth with God, like, why even bring me here? You know, why even bring me to this place if in your knowledge you knew that this wasn't going to work out? But, you know, I, and I had not been released even after the divorce. Like, I wasn't released. I still had to finish school. And, you know, I just didn't have a sense of closure or a sense of it's time to move on from here. Like, I, and I was wrestling with God. Like, why you got me here? Why you got me here? Like, just, it didn't work out. I should be free to just move on. But I wasn't. And I've only been gone from Chicago now for um, a little over, a little under two years. But even in this time, I've been able to look back and see, well, I didn't um, 
it, that the marriage may not have worked out, but let me think about all the things that I was able to walk away with that chapter knowing let me think about the relationships that I had I was able to foster. Let me think about the knowledge, the skills, the understanding that I gained from that from that chapter, from those years that I would not have gotten otherwise. And yes, it was hard to go through that. Yes, it was hard to go through that disappointment and that heartbreak. But I'm mindful that I wasn't sent to Chicago for the sole purpose of being somebody's wife. There was a greater purpose at work. And maybe it had to do with the congregation I served in. or Maybe it had to do with um, people that I met in my educational journey. Maybe it had to do with the ministry that I was able to do as a result of the exposure that I gained at the church. or Maybe it had to do with the friendships that I gained, but there was so much more to that chapter. And sometimes it's tempting to me to write Chicago off as the chapter of the divorce. But the faith inside of me says, yes, and... Also the chapter of some of the greatest friendships I've had. Also the chapter of some of the most valuable life lessons that I've ever learned. Also the chapter of, and the list goes on. And you know, when Harriet comes around to herself and she said, she discovers, she, she, she kind of makes a decision. Yeah, I might've thought that I was coming back here for my husband, but God sent me back here for a greater reason. Thought she was going to be leaving with one man and left with a whole bunch of people who had a deep desire to be free. And so don't despise the disappointments. Don't despise the places in your path that feel like a pivot. Don't despise the places where there was some unexpected uh, curveball that was thrown at you. Because sometimes and oftentimes, these are lessons and blessings in disguise. And it might take us having to get um, some distance from the disappointment. But nine times out of 10, I do believe that those happen for our good, which the scriptures say, hey, (laughs) all things, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to God's purposes. And anytime I ever like get down on myself about things that happened in that chapter and decisions and choices that I've made, I have to really start, I have to fast forward from the disappointment because there was a time when I didn't know what was going to happen, but having this distance now, almost five years outside of that situation, uh, I can see that it has worked out in my favor. Blessed be God. So do not despise the disappointments that you have faced, for they're often blessings and lessons in disguise. Number three, we often like to make movements about singular figures. We like to hail Harriet Tubman, but what this film illustrates is that none of her work was possible without the help of many people. 
And this was people on, these were people on both sides of her freedom journey. It was her father who supported her freedom. It was Reverend Green, who everybody thought was the shucking and jiving preacher. Meanwhile, had a whole stop on the Underground Railroad and a whole internal uh, memorized map of where to go and who to look for in order to get to freedom. It was these people that were enslaved, but then it was the people that were in Philadelphia, William Still, who, by the way, was played by my favorite, Leslie Odom Jr. Anybody who knows me knows I love me some Leslie. Oh my God, I love him so much. His voice is like velvet. Oh, that boy, good. And of course, Marie Buchanan, played by none other than Janelle Monet. So one of the things that I really want us to take home is um, just the fact that we often, um, I think history is told um, through, lin- through the lens of many singular figures, as if those singular fig- figures did not have support that made their, their work possible. I mean, Dr. King, Malcolm X, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, Ella Baker. Like these are people whose names we know, but let's be very, 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 very clear that all of them were surrounded by others whose names we either don't know or whose names we don't hear as often. I mean, to me, I... I think that it's still shameful uh, that it took me getting all the way into a doctoral program to hear the name of Bayard Rustin, um, who was the architect of the March on Washington. You know, meanwhile, we get we hear all the time every January 15th, some clip of I Have a Dream. And let's also say that it took me doing my own womanist research to discover that that wasn't even in his script for the day. That I have a dream uh, litany was not in his script for the March on Washington. There was a black woman sitting behind him by the name of Mahalia Jackson, who had a, a, a history with Dr. King of singing before he preached. And she had heard him give this litany, I have a dream on several occasions prior to this breakthrough moment. And he came to a point in his delivery on that day at the March on Washington, where the sister heard from the spirit that the people needed to hear about the dream. So she shouted out from right behind him, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. And if you watch in the video, uh, there's a very clear moment where Dr. Dr. King relinquishes his notes for the day and goes into his dream. And that was because there was a black woman behind him telling him, tell them about the dream. And so we like to make history and we like to make movements about singular, singular people, about individuals. And because most of our history has been told about singular people, we often think that we have to be singular people in our own movements. We often think that our work is about us. 
that our work is about our name and the impact that we are going to make. But what history uh, will betray with a deeper look and a womanist lens is that there are so many more people uh, in the mix of the history as it was being made. Uh, There were so many other people who made the work possible. And that was such a beautiful revelation in this movie that yes, Harriet Tubman is a hero and Harriet Tubman had had great courage and great moral strength and was a model leader, but Harriet Tubman had some help. (laughs) And so I think it stands for us to say today, um, as we're thinking about our own role in in these critical moments, that we're living in and we're thinking about the work that we're doing as humans who is around us who is supporting us who whose names must also be called my god when our names are called years from now when our stories are being told about our witness and our work in this present age whose names must be called right beside ours We've got to be thinking more communally when we think about our stories. Number four, liberation means nothing if it's only about your freedom. My partner Olu helped me to really articulate this distinction that Freedom is personal, but liberation is collective. And I think that if freedom was her point, then Harriet Tubman would have gone to Philadelphia and just made a life for herself and been content. But her own uh, view, even of her, of the purpose of her freedom was so that she could go back and free others. She had a bigger vision for her freedom than just her own emancipation. Her being free was not just about her not being a slave. It wasn't just about her not being enslaved, but it was about her being free so that she could then go make other people free. And I think that's as simple as it is. I think anytime you have a breakthrough or you gain some sort of revelatory understanding or you gain some sort of a privilege, whether it's your education or your finances or your uh, credentials or your job or your exposure to the world, it's not just so you can reap the benefits and not just so you can Uh, flex on the gram. It's not just so you can put on that doctoral robe and tam. It's so that you can go help somebody else get free. As many people as possible, as many people as who will listen to you. I often think about like how hard it is for many progressive faith leaders. (laughs) Those of us who are to the left of the center, who see The power of, for example, womanist theology, black liberation theology, and attempt to 
marry the concepts and the scholarship as laid out by our scholar and practitioner predecessors um, with the praxis of ministry and scholarship. Um, it's never, it's still not popular to do real prophetic ministry. And let's not even talk about how unpopular it is for black women to do it because the costs are always greater. But it's really, um, it becomes a matter of life or death when if you know the way to freedom that you want to bring some people along with you. This is probably why one of my favorite stories in the Gospels is about the woman at the well who has this encounter with Jesus, not just where he told her all about herself. He didn't, it's not just that he read her up and down, but it's that he um, also had some life-giving words to say to her despite her situation. It's also that he saw a purpose for her life that was bigger than what she could see for herself. And, um, and because she recognized in him a quality, a characteristic of love and acceptance that she had probably not experienced before. At least the text doesn't indicate that. And so it's almost like if you've experienced something good, wouldn't you want to go tell other people about it? Wouldn't you want for other people? She said, come and let me tell you about a man. Come, let me tell you about a man who told me all about myself. He, he's the one that's going to lead us. Um, and so even that woman is, you know, representative of the fact that freedom for freedom's sake is, is fine because there's one more freed life and freed soul, but freedom for the sake of liberation is far greater. For the, for, the, for the liberation of systems and people from broken systems and structures. The redemption of broken systems, which, you know, we going to be praying for until the new heaven and the new earth come. But that's okay. I'm committed to that prayer. So liberation means nothing if it's only about your freedom. Number five, your people will sell you out but your people will also help you out and your people will bring you out. So let's handle this first part first. Your people will sell you out. So one of the great critiques of the film and one of the, the reasons why people didn't want to go see it was because of the, uh, the character of Bigger Long, who was um, a very uh, misogynist black slave captor. And... Um, people who were saying, you know, I don't, I don't want to see, you know, why is it necessary to have, you know, such a, such a figure in a film? Well, it's necessary because it's true. It is historically accurate that there were black people working as slave captors and turning their own people over to the authorities. And it's, was true then the same way it's true now. And so my problem with that critique is not that it's so ahistoric, but it's also 
um, it lacks mindfulness and awareness and it, it lacks um, criticism for the ways that B- Bigger Long has shown up and continues to show up inside of our community. I mean, I'm thinking of Stacy Dash. I'm thinking of Ben Carson. I'm thinking of, uh, what's that man's name? Uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. I mean, there the list goes on of people who really do identify and embody the notion that your skin folk aren't always your kin folk. And so that is a lesson in this film. But for every one of those, there were many others who helped her out so that she could turn around and bring some people out. And I loved, loved, loved the scene with the little boy. I forget his name. It just goes to show, I have to go see this movie again, who, when we first meet him, is on the side of the slave captors. But when he witnesses Harriet have that deep and powerful moment of communing with the spirit as she's trying to discern which direction to go on the second journey where she's freeing more people, he becomes converted and he becomes convinced that this woman is walking with God and she's doing God's work. And that's the side that I want to be on. And so for every bigger long, there is a little boy. I'm forgetting his name. There is a Harriet Tubman. There is a daddy. There's a Reverend Green. There's a William Still. There's a Marie Buchanan. And as hard as it is for us to face this part of our history, it is true, but it's not the final truth. Your people will sell you out, but they will also help you out and some will even bring you out. Number six, do not buy into the myth of stay in your lane. Think broader about your lane. Once again, Harriet Tubman's lane was liberation. Her mission, her calling, and her purpose was the liberation of her people. And in one season of her life, that lane, if you will, looked like her leading a train several trains on the Underground Railroad, risking her life going to and from the North and the South to go get people who desired to be free. But in another season of her life, it looked like her fighting in the Civil War, leading a general in the Civil War. And it might have looked different in different seasons of her life, but it was all in line with her mission and her purpose. And so whatever you feel like your mission is, what I'm challenging you to do is I'm challenging you to think more broadly about what that can look like in your lifetime and what that um, could not just mean for others, but what that could mean for you. I mean, I think about myself and I think about when I started ministry, I was you know, very young in my thinking about ministry being what I have always witnessed ministry being, you know, preaching and singing and working in a church. And 
as I've grown and as I've matured, not only in my ministry as a preacher and as a clergy woman, but also, and more importantly, in my understanding of what ministry is, and most, most importantly, my understanding of who I am. I now believe that it would be a shame if I sequestered my intelligence and my artistic uh, creativity and I sequestered my fire to the four walls of the church. If my mission and my purpose are to do ministry, i.e. to be a mouthpiece for God, to do God's work, I am Thankful for the life lessons and experiences by which I have been able to broaden what I mean by that. And I'm thankful to the spirit for continuously showing me that it can look a thousand and one different ways. And so to the person who thinks that just because I have an MBA or a JD, or just because I went to Johns Johns Hopkins Medical School, my life has to look one way. Um, Let me free you from that today because your life can look like whatever you see in your spirit. And if as long as your vocation, your work, your life's work is connected to the greater purpose of making somebody else free so that ultimately we can all be liberated. That is God's work. That is God's work and that is good, good work. And so don't buy into the myth of stay in your lane. I think that's probably one of the greatest lies that so many women have been told. Stay in your lane. And if you think about the people in your life, that told you that. These were often people, at least in my experience, and I know I'm not just speaking for myself, these are often people who are more interested in maintaining and retaining their own power rather than see somebody else rise in their power. And that to me says that, that that to me is insecurity. That's what insecurity does. It fights so that someone else can stay lower, stay in their place, stay in their lane so that I can have mine. So think broader about what your lane can look like. I say purpose and mission is about dancing It's about taking up space. It's about the experiment. It's about the process of elimination. It's about being open to experiences such that you can have some and say, yep, that's not for me. Let me move on to something else that could be. And that might be a yes or it might be a no. But you keep moving. You keep dancing. You keep discerning until your purpose is manifested. So don't get don't get stuck. That's really what I and don't put a, a ceiling over your head that God has that God did not put there. And don't buy into the ceilings that other people have put on top of your head. Mind be mind you, this podcast, I know a lot of people listen to this, but this podcast is for black millennial women. And so right now I'm speaking to my sisters. Forget all those white supremacy and misogyny and anti-black imposed uh, glass ceilings. 
Forget those boundaries and those boxes. I guarantee you that your purpose and mission are bigger than those and you will find room and space to dance through your life. Not shrink if you come out from under those. Finally, number seven, move with the spirit. Once again, one of my favorite, oh God, aspects of this film was the spirituality in it. And Hollywood has this unhealthy obsession with depicting Black American Christianity as being, um, actually, let me say it like this, has a, uh, Hollywood has an obsession with depicting African-American spirituality as being uh, located almost exclusively inside of the Black church. You know, Hollywood, Tyler Perry, um, for example, are good for a good Black church scene and a good for like a good, you know, calling on the same kind of tropes of Black religiosity, Um that were no doubt derived from some sort of black church. And I am not in any way, shape or form trying to undermine the place of the black church in um, the black American experience. But what I am saying is that it's not all there is to it. The spirit is so much bigger than church, dogma, doctrine, denomination, religious affiliation, spirit. In fact, if I'm really, really reading the spirituality in this film, it, to me, was a little bit more akin to more African traditional religion than it was to Christianity. Um, I, I have spent some time really thinking through the sort of depiction of religion in this film. I'm not going to go into that depth here, but in terms of the spirituality of Harriet Tubman as portrayed in this film, it was completely decentered out of the church. And while she prays to the Lord in that powerful scene in that river, oh my God, and she calls on a scripture, I forget which one it was, See, I have to go see the movie again. Um, she never says the name Jesus. And the one and only time that we really see her in a church is when she's going to go receive spiritual guidance from the uh, pastor about, you know, the Underground Railroad. And then we see the church also doubling as a hiding spot for enslaved persons who are seeking freedom. But her spirituality was not centralized in a church. It was really centralized inside of herself. Um, it was deeply intuitive and embodied. And in the most powerful scenes of that film, she's in almost all of them, she's in nature. She's next to a tree. She's in that river and she's having some clear communication with the other side, giving her a sense of direction, giving her a sense of focus, reminding her of her purpose, reminding her that she's not alone, telling her which where to go and where to avoid. And this is what happens when you move with the spirit. 
it's not that you know in this sort of Eurocentric, um, quantifiable, verifiable way. It's that you know somewhere in your body that spirit is speaking and you know what spirit is saying. It's often called the spirit of discernment. And my grandmother used to refer to that part of my body as my knower. And some would even call it your gut. What is your gut saying to you? What is that instinctive uh, sort of knowledge that you know that you can't exp- I don't know how I know it, but I do know. I mean, moving with the spirit, and, and to me, it wasn't just in those moments of stillness and community, but it was in the very fact that she decided to take that journey in the first place. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to make it to the other side. I don't know where I'm ultimately going, and I definitely don't know how I'm going to get there. But what I do know is the spirit is saying to move. Mm. And when the spirit says move, Honey, you have to move. And that's really when the journey starts, when step by step by step by step by step, you're leaning on the knowledge of the Spirit and the help of the Holy Spirit and the help of the Holy Ghost. Y'all, I'm having church in here tonight. My God. Whew. This is what was so radical about that was not just the sort of Africanness of that spirituality. But it was the way that as a black woman who was fully um, inhabited by the divine, she was there for the divine. And yet, as you look around, black women are the most hated, the most preyed upon, the most disposable. Y'all killing God when you kill black women. Black cis women, black trans women, that's how I feel. I mean, it wasn't even a month ago that my Clark Atlanta University sister was killed by her roommate and her roommate's boyfriend for resisting sexual advances. Oh, and the stories and the names and the violence. It goes on and on and on because people fail to see the God in black women. Meanwhile, in Sazake, Shange said it just like this. She said, I found God in myself and I loved her fiercely. Even Beyonce said, you know, when you love me, you love yourself and you love God herself. Moving with the spirit means moving with God. And when we move with God and we move with the spirit, we choose ourselves because God always chooses our freedom and our wellness and our wholeness. And if no one else chooses that, we must choose that because spirit says so. Okay, I got to take a deep breath because that is the end of this episode. And I hope that it was helpful to you all. And I have about two episodes left this year of Modern Faith before 2020, new decade. And so I'm going to be looking forward to um, not just the next season of the podcast, but 
to some new ideas that I have for really creating a community um, out of modern faith. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you'd like to connect with me um, to help with some of the vision, um, I could use a, a modern faith squad. I could use a modern faith team. And um, I'd love for um, some other names to surround mine when the story of modern faith is told. That being said, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Have a blessed, awesome, magnanimous, magnificent week because you deserve it. God be with you and God bless you. And thank you for joining me for this episode of Modern Faith. We've come to the end of this episode of Modern Faith. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you could, please take just a second to rate and subscribe to Modern Faith on all of your preferred podcasting platforms. And stay connected with us on Instagram and Twitter at Modern Faith Podcast. Thanks again. And until next time, keep the faith.